You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And the Milwaukee Bucks won two games this weekend, a back-to-back on Friday and Saturday. They win in each of those games. They go to 15-10. and 10. They are five games over 500 for the first time since the 2014-15 season. It has been a long time since they've gotten over that. We talked last year how they always struggled to get once they were three over 500, they really struggled to get to four. They only did it once last year. They're four games over 500 with, I think, four games remaining at the end of the season. But that was the first time. This year, they're, they're already five games over 500. This is the f- best start through 25 games since the 2005-2006 season. In short, the Milwaukee Bucks are rattling off wins now. They have won six of their last seven. And before that six of seven... They lost to the Utah Jazz, 121-108 on November 25th, and they were able to kind of get a little bit of revenge in this second game against the Jazz. They win 117-100 on Saturday night, 109-102 on Friday night against the Dallas Mavericks. And Frank, I guess first I'll ask, how are you doing? I, 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 didn't, even, I didn't even ask that before. That was some, some Frank Madden-like uh, rambling. You know, normally I'm the one who just talks for, for minutes on it, but... <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, yeah, I mean a two and O weekend, you, you can't really complain much about that. Obviously I think on Friday, probably first two and a half quarters were really not what you were looking for from the Milwaukee bucks, but they kind of pull things together. Giannis kind of inspires them in the third quarter. They end up then, you know, getting it close uh, in a close game in the fourth quarter. Chris Middleton really comes through big time and uh, carries them to that win. And then Saturday against, you know, as you said, we should know Mavericks, kicked their ass even worse than the Jazz did a few weeks <laughs> yes, ago. So they exacted a little bit of revenge, and I think the players were, were not bashful about mentioning that, yes, they remembered those games. They were uh, had these games scheduled, you know, circled on the schedule to try to get back at them a bit. So they do that on Friday against Dallas. Maybe not uh, exactly exacting the kind of revenge that <laughs> that exactly equalized the, what was it, 32-point loss yeah. in Dallas. So, um, not a very convincing win, but a win nonetheless. And probably the most important thing was despite some key guys, including Giannis, playing big minutes on Friday to get that win, um, they're able to come back on Saturday. Playing shorthanded two nights in a row, I mean, Tony Snell uh, added to the list of absent uh, players due to random knee injuries to the, you know, the list that already included Matthew Delvadova and Mirza Toledovic. And of course, yes, Jabari Parker, obviously out for a long time with, with a knee injury as well. Um, but yeah, able to come out on Saturday and play kind of, I mean, it wasn't a wire to wire win exactly. They were trailing very early in the game, but um, with the exception of the jazz bring getting it kind of close in the second quarter um, bucks finished second quarter strong. And then, uh, in the second half, they really, I thought, played well. And despite being on a back-to-back and the Jazz being rested, uh, Giannis was 
tremendous and capped it with uh, one of the most disrespectful dunks you're going to see in a basketball game. So, um, yeah, tough to tough to put a better cap on a weekend than uh, the way Giannis and the Bucks finished Saturday's game. And obviously to win both games, you know, you would have certainly been favored on Friday. Um, I think I said on Friday they were like 51 percent favorites or something like that against the Jazz on Saturday. Um, so obviously to, to come back and win both those games, um, nothing should be taken for granted. And obviously moving your record to 15 and 10, at least for the moment, the Bucks are in fourth place in the Eastern Conference and certainly where they were, you know, a few weeks ago and the, some of the troubles they were having on the defense and uh, obviously some of the concerns even since Eric Bledsoe arrived some of the offensive nights haven't been great so um, I think watching them play these these last couple nights obviously encouraging to get wins but hopefully um, fingers crossed start to move in the right direction as well and also just in terms of the way that they're playing overall yeah I mean you look at the last six games Giannis Chris and Eric whether you want to call them EKG keg whatever other terrible nicknames I've thought of in the past. Um, oh, bam. They're all bad. Um, but gem, somebody was, I think somebody said gem too. Yeah. That way Giannis comes first. Okay. I can, I can get down with that. Uh, but you look at those three guys, they're averaging 20 plus points a piece in the last six games. And, uh, to me, I think that's kind of the biggest story that those, those three have kind of all found their way. And, I think it's kind of at a spot. There's there's certainly some your turn, my turn um, with all three of those guys, but I, I don't necessarily know that it's egregious where, where you can kind of just see the body language of those other three shut down. Um, certainly at times I think there's frustrations because all three are, are very talented offensively and all want to score and have that chance to play make and do all those things as well. Um, but for the most part, it doesn't feel like they're stepping on their toes, stepping on each other's toes all that much. And they've been able to put up really big numbers and um, man, it, it's just kind of impressive to watch them all work together and, I was going to say on Saturday night, it was kind of close there at the half, but not really close, but, you know, close enough. And then Giannis came out hot in that third quarter. And it was kind of strange because he was using the spin move a lot. And it feels like the spin move was kind of excised from his game after, if you remember that Spurs game, they lost by one last year. Uh, I think they lose 97-96 sometime in December. After that game, I think KG was in town the next day. And then after that, Giannis had something, said something about, oh, yeah, I knew I was going to go to my spin move, my go-to move. And then like from that point forward, it looked like he was kind of trying to move away from that because obviously with the spin move, you have a little bit less control. Uh, you're going to have to be blind for even if it's just the slightest millisecond, you have to be blind for a little bit as you make that spin move. And it was just kind of, it was kind of interesting to see him use that as much as he did against the jazz, because I I hadn't seen him use it like that. And I mean, there was double spin moves and there was just power and force. And there was just Giannis kind of being Giannis and and taking over the game. And it, it was wildly impressive. And then, the disrespect of that last dunk. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> up 15, I think already. Uh, and then just, uh, was it 15 seconds left? And he goes, and uh, I always talk about hashtag business decisions and Rudy Gobert made a business decision there, but unfortunately he decided to make it midair 
And yeah. that just means you're going to look really bad. Because uh, the first the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, my gosh, he just threw it on Rudy Gobert's head. And then the second time I saw it, I was like, oh, Rudy decided not to go up for that one. And then I was like, oh, he decided in midair. So it still looks like he got clowned. Uh, but <laughs> it, it, it wasn't quite as impressive. But, damn, the picture looks good. Uh, so uh, kind of just a, a cool way to end it. And obviously you see Giannis let out that guttural scream after it uh and just kind of let everyone know like yep i'm the man we're playing well and everything is going right for us right now yeah i mean the irony of that was that if gobert wasn't paying a little bit too much attention to john henson standing in the corner clapping to get the ball for a corner three um maybe he's able to come over (laughs) to stop (laughs) stop Giannis. but um i'm I'm not sure about henson's gravity yeah i'm not sure what's what's funnier you know henson uh, looking like he really thought he should get the ball there uh, as Giannis was kind of sizing up uh, his defender. Was that was that Royce O'Neal who was defending him at the time? I don't know. Mm, I but um, a really nice right-to-left crossover uh, gets going to the rim and, and just, I mean, he's been on a tear dunking with his left hand mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks, and um, that was certainly the best one we've seen. And, yeah, as you said, Gobert didn't kind of pulled out he jumped as though he's gonna block it and then just didn't extend his arm because he knew he wasn't gonna get it and certainly Giannis detonating with that left hand was was the the perfect capper on a night where he scores 37 with what 13 rebounds seven assists um and and obviously just sort of you know again I, I think a year ago when the Bucks would play teams that had shot blockers good interior defenders I used to think like oh you know this this is gonna be harder for Giannis and it just seems like now <laughs> It doesn't really matter, you know. Yeah. It doesn't really matter who who he's going up against, um, whether it's you know Gobert, who we didn't see in the previous game uh, in Utah. Um, he's going to get buckets, and and again, it's really not about having one guy, one shot blocker. It's about you know again, you have to really you know gang tackle him to to have a chance. And who knows, maybe maybe next year the Jazz are going to want to gang tackle him for for that <laughs> disrespectful dunk. But the shot clock was on. Which I think is the ultimate uh, important thing here. If he if he did it with the shot clock off, yeah, that would have been sure, a problem. I'm sure we would be hearing about about whatever. But as someone who who like the thing that kills me is when teams went like if you're I mean the, the Bucks have done this a few times this year. The Bucks, you know, you're losing by like eight points or whatever it is at home or more. You know, you're losing by a bunch of points at home, and you're like scrubs are in or or whoever. But even like the scrubs, it's more even even more egregious because guys don't play that much. But like they'll just like dribble out the clock to end a game. It's like, what you're you're worried you're gonna disrespect the other team by trying to score when you're losing. Like, yeah. what? What do you like play to the goddamn like horn? Like, it's, that's just one of those like random things that a lot of uh, the Bucks are not unique. A lot of players do that, but it just annoys me because it's like you're losing. Go score more points. Yeah, and I and I thought on Saturday the reason why I wasn't one it, it was a little bit surprising because you don't normally see a dunk like that as the capper, but. The Jazz were down 13 with, I think, 145 left when uh, it was that Giannis fadeaway. I think that one put him up 13, or maybe it was another three. But either way, they go up 13, and at that moment, I was thinking, like, oh, okay, white flag time. Like, both teams, like, a timeout was called immediately after, and I thought Quinn Snyder would pull his starters, and he didn't. And to me, if you keep your starters in in a game that's out of hand, 
whatever happens to him happens to him. Like <laughs> that, that play better play better defense. They're the, like one of the best interior defensive teams correct. in the league. So go ahead and play better interior defense. We know you're capable. Of yeah, that. and and at that point it was like in my mind I thought the game was over, but the starters stayed out there. So if you're gonna keep your starters out there, like they're liable to get dunked on by one of the best players in the league. So <laughs> that that that's kind of what happens. Um, it just. Thinking about these two games, though, and I don't know, it it's always difficult. Obviously, we always talk, we always end up talking hashtag scheme on here. Um, but these were two teams that really hurt the Bucks from the three point line. Um, and as we hear more about it, and the, la- the last time they played, not this time, correct? Yeah, the last time they played those two road games. Bucks really get hurt from the three-point line behind them, and as we learn a little bit more about it and hear from Jason Kidd, the, it seems like those two games, that that Jazz game and that Mavericks game, kind of kind of spurred them to make some changes. That they decided that okay, let's let's change the scheme around a little bit. Let's try to do a little bit better on the three-point line, and. Certainly in these two games, I think those changes were were indicative. Um, Certainly with the way, just kind of in the first half, you watched this Jazz team. And I know I had a chance to talk to David Locke, the founder of our fantastic Locked On Network, uh, before the game. And he was talking about how how Quinn always tries to have kind of Quinn Snyder, the jazz coach, always kind of he tries to have packages specific to that that team you're playing that opponent that night that he's going to try to find certain things that they can try to take advantage of and obviously most coaches are going to try to do that like figure out exactly what defense it is that the other team is running and run something to take advantage of it and as I was watching that first half I could you could kind of see like oh they were they were preparing for the trap and obviously earlier in the week we saw a number of people write about how the Celtics were ready for the Bucks to trap and they in that first quarter they ran a couple different packages they ran a couple different ways that they were going to slip it and take advantage of uh kind of trapping and high hedging the ball screen and you could see in that in that game on Saturday the Jazz were ready for it and then Henson dropped or Henson would soft show rather than uh hard show or blitz or trap and you could kind of see that they were just attempting to figure out okay how do we counter this cuz we were thinking that they were going to do something different. And obviously, as the game went on, they found different ways to take advantage. But um, you can, I think you could kind of see that on Saturday night that the Jazz were a little bit taken aback that the Bucks weren't coming at them as aggressively. Yeah, and I think, you know, the key, one of the, one of the different, a couple of some of the differences, obviously, you know, the, the Bucks defense. And, um, you know, our, our Twitter friend at all the Bucks did mention this, that, you know, when they had a good run in Utah in the second half, they actually went away from some of that aggressive stuff that, you know, we always talk about hurting them. So they've shown it even in stretches against the Jazz before this. Um, but obviously of late, we've seen a lot less of sort of the aggressive stuff. And and again, I mean, like, you know, teams will still do that stuff sometime. But I think the important thing is not being so predictable and not doing it like as much as the Bucks have. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I was watching the Spurs and Celtics game uh, over the uh, what was it um, Friday maybe or Thursday, uh, and I was I was surprised because the Spurs trapped the tried to trap the Celtics a few times, and I remember seeing that and thinking like, man, did they not see the Bucks? The bus <laughs> <tape on that?" laughs> um, so, but the point is like you know there is there can be a time and place for it, or you know in a certain situation where you want to give a guy a different look or try to get the ball out of, you know, a star player's hands. It's just the main thing is just like when, when they know it's coming, 
and they have you know the personnel to to get around it you know then then that's where you're just you know hamstringing yourself um and i thought you know one big difference with this jazz team on saturday was rudy gobert was back he was injured when the bucks saw the jazz in utah and rodney hood did not play and you know i, I know david Locke has tweeted about this others have tweeted about this um that with gobert and favors together um, it hasn't been working lately, and I don't think they've even been trying to do it all that much because I think Quinn Snyder realizes that it's tough to make those two guys work together, um, you know, just more and more now in the modern NBA. Obviously, last year they had uh, tremendous defense, um, but you know, Favors was what hurt for a lot of the season last yeah. year as well. I know Gobert had a, had a period where he missed as well. So, um, so it was interesting because it did feel like the Jazz being bigger now – Derek Favors randomly hits a corner three on the very first possession. So he's started to think, oh, crap, here we go again. The ninth three like of his a, career. Yeah, like a long cross-court pass. And you're like, what? Derek Favors hitting threes now? <laughs> um, but for the most part, you know, the Jazz go eight out of 23. And the important number there is the 23 because that's just not that many attempts. Um, the, the Mavs had 24 on Friday. Again, they made they made 10, which is a good percentage. But, you know, again, like you, you, you just try to limit the attempts and, you know, the basketball gods oftentimes are the ones <laughs> determining if they go in. Yeah. Um, but they, I just thought they just did a nice job of, you know, again, sometimes uh, certainly part of it was probably personnel. The fact that the Jazz were a little bit bigger, maybe they're missing hood. Um, seemed like the ball was in Alec Burks's hands, who was was good for, for stretches, um, hit a couple threes. But that's really not as much his game. And, you know, I like seeing Tabo Cephalosha out there. I like seeing the ball in Tabo Cephalosha's hands because I'm not as worried about him doing stuff yeah. that would really stretch out a defense um, as opposed to a, a guy like Hood, especially with the way he was shooting the ball when we saw them in Utah. And certainly Donovan Mitchell um, has been, you know, a revelation around, the, you know, for, for, for a, a few weeks now. And he struggled mightily. I don't think he hit a shot in the first half. Ends up, I think, 4 of 17. Um, he takes a lot of difficult shots. And I thought the Bucks also did a nice job when he was attacking the rim, forcing him into very difficult shots, even when he got into the paint. And he, you know, forced up a lot of shots that were contested. Um, John Henson got him once or twice uh, on blocks. Um, I think Giannis actually partially blocked a shot that went in on a fast break in the second half yep. um, when uh, when he did get a get a bucket <laughs> out in transition. Yeah. So, um, you know, just in general, obviously th- that, that was a major plus. And obviously there's always some luck when, you know, opponent three pointers don't go down, but certainly overall, you just look at the bucks, the percentage they've allowed this season. There's been a lot more bad luck than good luck, given I think they're still the worst team in the league in terms of opponent three point percentage. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think defensively, I think the story kind of continued in terms of kind of keeping things a little simpler. You know, we saw Gobert slipping a number of times and getting easy baskets, uh, at the rim. I know, um, there was one play in the second half, I think, where Thon was like running out and he didn't trap, but his momentum was still going forward when Gobert slipped. It was, was GP2's like, fault. Was it GP2's? Yeah. What happened during that stretch was they were running that kind of curling action for Ingles and GP2's job was to get on Ingles' hip and chase him. And Ingles is obviously great at all of that kind of stuff. And he he just lost GP2. GP2 is not close at all, uh, curling around it. And that will open you up. If you have a shooter like Ingles coming around a curl screen uncontested, well, the big's going to have to help. And then, yeah, you're going to get Gobert dunks. And and I think it happened, uh, they ran that set, I don't know, three or four times, maybe consecutively. And those were all those times where you just saw Gobert just coming down the lane, just throwing it down with two hands, and you're thinking in your head, Good God, no. 
<laughs> I don't want to see that again. I've seen that movie and I do not want to see it again. Yeah. And I felt like a lot for much of the night and, and they, they hit some of them for sure. But I, I thought I was really encouraging the number of kind of mid range semi contested jump shots they were taking that Utah was taking, mm-hmm. you know, Ricky Rubio took a bunch of them. They probably fouled Rubio unnecessarily a few times too many, certainly as well. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Mitchell took a bunch of contested long twos. He's got a nice yank on his, on his, in terms Ooh. of his handle, he can yank the ball back to, to create space. But again, I mean, I'll live with, you know, those, those mid range jumpers, <laughs> which it seemed like they were taking a lot of. And then, you know, you look at the guys they were bringing off the bench tonight, you know, Jurebko, Cephalosha, Royce O'Neal, who I'd never heard of before this game, and Howell Neto, who played two minutes before he got hurt um, in the first half. Um, just no real kind of, you know, no, you're, let's just say this, you're, there, there's no one there to strike fear in the hearts of a defense uh, from the perimeter. And, you know, Burks was good tonight, 20 points on just 13 shots at a couple threes. But, you know, he was really going it alone for the most part off, off the bench. And, um, you know, you look at the rest of the starters, um, you know, Mitchell took a ton of shots and didn't make many. So offensively, um, that kind of put them at a disadvantage. And um, they got a bunch of turnovers as well, which we didn't really um, it felt like we didn't see as much other than that early part of the third quarter in Utah. So, uh, again, it just felt like, you know, kind of a tables turning a little bit. The the Bucks kind of dictating um, how things were going defensively for a change. And um, obviously that worked out because they scored a ton of points on the other end as well. Yeah, and it's been I think it's been really fun to watch John Henson in this role because when you watch John Henson, he's – He's now gotten, I think, comfortable enough with the the softer defenses where he's either dropping or you know you know a, a little bit of a softer show. And he's to the spot where I feel like he's stunning at guys. And what I mean by that is just taking a step at him and then dropping back again and a step at him. And it, it kind of just changes the tempo. And we always talk about two speeds offensively and making it difficult on guys. And I think the one block that he got Donovan Mitchell on, uh, on kind of like a mid-ranger, Mitchell came around and Henson just kind of like jabbed at him. And that slowed him down, and then he kept going, and then he decided to take a pull-up, and then on that second pull-up, Henson came in and swatted it, and it started a fast break, and it was just kind of fun to start to see John Henson get more comfortable with some of those intricacies, to those things that can really make it difficult for players in the mid-range like their their reason why mid-range shots are so difficult and a lot of the time is if it's a three it's catch and shoot if it's at the rim it's but it's something you've been doing since you were a kid but that mid-range area requires so much skill and so many so much different footwork and so many different variations of shots whether those floaters runners uh straight up pull-ups fadeaways turnarounds whatever it may be like you have to work a little bit harder in those areas and i think you could really see a lot of that you mentioned uh donovan mitchell kind of getting held down 4 of 17 on the night for donovan mitchell like that obviously he's he's not afraid to take those shots he's a very confident player um but it was obviously quite a bit harder for him and with Alec Burks, he was 8 of 13 off the bench. He wasn't struggling as much because he could get to the rim. He's a little bit more athletic. But uh, with Mitchell, a smaller guy, you make him play in that in-between range. You make some of those shots very tough. And that that can kind of be what you end up getting. And uh, I was saying kind of the same thing with that Dallas game. Like, J.J. Brea killed the Bucks the first time around. And he's 2 of 8 against the Bucks the second time around. And still had a decent enough night, 8 points, 6 assists, 4 rebounds. But... Uh, I think you make it a little bit more difficult on him. Harrison Barnes, 17 shots to get 18 points. 
Dirk obviously didn't have the same kind of impact that he did the first time around. And, and, and I think just all around, you really made both those teams work throughout the weekend. And that that's a win. <laughs> whether or not they hit it's some two of those. Wins. Yeah, whether or not you, <laughs> you hit some of those shots. Like, Wes Matthews hit some tough shots. Like, yeah. that's, that can happen. But if the top shots people are hitting are mid-rangers rather than... <clears throat> I, I wouldn't say a catch-and-shoot three is a tough shot. Um, so I guess those parallels don't work. But if the shots teams are hitting are tough shots, you can live with it. And uh, you can especially live with it if you're forcing them into that range where it's not as efficient. If they're not hitting tough shots at the rim, if they're not hitting contested threes, like if those are contested mid-rangers, you're going to live with it. And you can see why that scheme makes a little bit more sense and why it does make more sense to make people shoot in those areas. Um, so just... Just, I think, a, a, a solid weekend for the Bucks. They keep improving offensively and defensively. Um, and I, I just think a lot of good things. One thing, though, I need to say this. I despise how officials referee J.J. Barea. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I, I almost, uh, I effing hate how they officiate him. Because he's tiny. I get it. But if you put two hands on another player, it is a foul. Period. It doesn't matter if your if your hands are small. It doesn't matter if you're a small person. If you put two hands on somebody, it's a foul. Period. There's no questions. There's the language that the NBA has written say two hands is a foul every single time. And Berea does it all the time. All the time. Because if he's getting posted up by Giannis freaking at a at a Kumbo, like he's going to have to put both hands on him to stop him, and yeah. then he's going to flop. But if he puts both hands on him first, that is a foul, period. No questions asked. Blow the damn whistle. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I've hated it from the moment this dude got in the league. Because, just because you're 5'5", doesn't mean you get to put two hands on people. You don't get a different I, set of rules because you're smaller. And it goes the same way. Giannis doesn't have a different set of rules because he's bigger. Like, call it the same all the way through, period. Screw that with J.J. Bray getting officiated a different way. I hate it. I got really nervous. I think uh, Giannis got a switch and hit a jumper over him early in the fourth quarter of that game. That was pretty important. Um, but I was deathly afraid for exactly what you're saying just because, you know, guys who will try to defend Giannis straight up, I'm not worried about, you know, yeah. um, in, in the post, right? But Because Giannis likes to bang, and a lot of times where he runs into problems is, you know, where he's too obvious with throwing his little chicken wing and, and kind of, you know, wiping out guys and um obviously just trying to 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 you know throw his what what he he doesn't have a big butt but you know <laughs> yeah. he tries to use that um i always get a little nervous and and i have to say i mean i don't think Brea got him on any of these because they didn't it didn't really come that way but um but i i was worried about him trying to be too aggressive attacking the rim against Brea just because of that reason that Brea was just gonna flop and draw a foul it but, is such um, bullshit i hate it I absolutely hate it, and I've hated it. I don't even know how many years J.J. Bray has been in the league. Ten years he's at this the, point. He's, like, he's, the David Ex, he's the David Eckstein of the NBA, which means that I just find him annoying. And, God. you know, he's, he's been on enough winning teams or at least one winning team. So, you know, he's probably been, like, overrated and, and blah, blah, blah. But um, so l- let's talk about this. So uh, Giannis, Chris, Bledsoe put up big numbers in, uh, in both of these games. They go for uh, 82 points on Friday. They go for 77 on Saturday. I thought um, you were going to say their minutes. Well, we'll get to that. So um, 
<laughs> so Giannis goes for 43 minutes on Friday. Everybody, I mean, I think everybody was like, oh my God, seriously, we like he's playing 43 minutes against the goddamn Mavs on, you know, with, with the Jazz coming into town. I mean, for him to then bounce back and play 39 minutes and play at such a high level, especially in the second half, scoring 24 points and just doing work against the Jazz in the second half of the game on Saturday was tremendous. I mean, I'm, I'm glad we've got a few days off here where he can rest up a little bit because, yeah. you know, again, these are the kind of like back-to-back situations which there, there aren't as many of them. But, you know, as if you're Jason Kidd, you have to figure out ways to to get him more rest sporadically during the game. And I think Friday he got a rest like midway through the fourth quarter because like Kidd just didn't take him out before that and just was like, all right, fine, I got to I gotta, gotta give him a blow. And fortunately at that point, Chris Middleton was taking over and – um, you know, the, the Bucks have been shockingly the most efficient team in terms of net rating in the league in terms of clutch time this year. They were horrible last year. They've been excellent so far this year. Giannis, Bledsoe, Brogdon have been really good. And Chris Middleton has not been good. He was 5 out of 19 in clutch situations coming into Friday night's game. He hits 4 out of 5, including a 4-point play and just some some really big jump shots down the stretch to kind of keep the Mavs at bay and, you know, give the Bucks the the win on Friday. Uh, finishes with 31 points on 18 shots. He was excellent. Um and then on Saturday, obviously, Giannis comes through with, with just a, a massive game. But one of the reasons, so I mean, it doesn't excuse it, but one of the reasons we had all these minutes, certainly for, for not just Giannis and um, the whatever we're calling the, the I don't, I don't want to say marquee three. I feel like that's being shoved down our throats by the, our friends at Fox Sports Wisconsin. So I, I just, just not, not quite, it, it has some ring to it. I just, I don't know. I don't know what's, what's better, but I'm, I'm not there yet. But um, one of the reasons the guys are playing big minutes Malcolm Brogdon played 41 minutes uh, on Friday, 41 good minutes, 14 points on 10 shots, six assists. He played well again on Saturday. One of the reasons we, some of these guys were getting big minutes was because of injuries. And obviously at this point, you know, the Bucks have been without Matthew Delvadova and Mirza Toledovic for weeks at this point. Uh, you know, there's nothing particular new about that. But to then also have Tony Snell uh be added to the injury list for both Friday and Saturday night's game due to um, left patella tendon uh, listed as a left patella tendon strain. Um, that obviously, you know, is a concern in the bigger picture of things and also why, um, you know, I, I think you have to tip your hat to the guys uh, on Friday and Saturday for stepping up with, you know, again, I mean, these aren't your superstars that are missing, but these are guys who eat up minutes, especially Tony Snell, guys who play off of um, the the, you know, good three players or whatever, <laughs> whatever we're calling them. Um, so, so that, that, that's kind of an important backdrop because it meant that again, Rashad Vaughn saw some minutes It meant GP two uh, randomly starts again, which I, I saw the, I saw the tweet about it before I saw that, that Snell was hurt. And so first off, I was ready to go ballistic if Snell wasn't hurt and GP two was starting again, because we've talked about the starters being so good with Snell and you know, just w- why would you even do that? But um, without Snell, obviously Sterling Brown still is not getting any love uh, from Jason Kidd uh, for for whatever reason. Um, Rashad Vaughn did get double digit minutes on both nights. Um, DeAndre Liggins obviously continues to play uh, a decent amount of minutes, and Brogdon played a ton on Friday. He got 27 minutes on Saturday, so so ramped down a little bit. But should they just uh, drop Sterling Brown right now? You mean put him in the G League? No, I mean just drop him because if he can't get minutes in that situation, like. Is he ever going to get minutes? Like you're, you're totally decimated. What do you mean, drop him? I mean, if you're not going to play him, what's the point of having him on the team? Like, oh. 
Like, All right. I, I don't, okay, you're being. I, I get it. You're being cynical. Yeah. Um, but like, but what what on earth would have to happen? Totally decimated. Totally decimated. And the answer is to play GP two twenty three minutes. Oh, and I forgot about Jet being hurt too. Jet, the guy who didn't play until last week. Yes, Jet. Jet also hurt. Um, Everyone's yeah, no, out. I mean, it's like, what yeah. on earth would have to happen? Um, you'd have to have Rashad Vaughn out and DJ DeAndre Liggins out, I guess. It's, I don't it's think fun. that's enough. I think Bledsoe and Brogdon would both have to be hurt because otherwise one of those two is going for 48. Like, I, I just, I, it, it's infuriating to watch. I, I don't understand what could possibly keep you from giving him a chance. Like, is, I can't, again, maybe it's that bad, but I saw 23 minutes for GP2. So I refuse to believe that it could be that bad. Like I, I just don't get it, Frank. Yeah, I mean, and, and it was weird on Friday. GP2 plays the first five minutes and then plays for what, like the first 20 seconds of the third mm-hmm. quarter before he gets subbed out. And apparently, I guess it was a miscommunication that he wasn't going to start and yeah. somebody dropped the ball and, and whatever. Um, on Saturday, he does play 23 minutes, um, scores four points, three rebounds, two assists, two of five shooting. Uh, he was a plus 20. I mean, he was around while they were obviously playing well, especially early in the game. I don't think that's necessarily a lot of um, causation necessarily. Uh, <laughs> um, he uh, he also, uh, in Giannis racking up seven assists, which I want to talk about Giannis's passing in a minute, but um, I was very bitter that he uh, biffed a uh, beautiful pass Giannis gave him in the third quarter that should have been a layup. And uh, Giannis and him also, which I don't know if it was fully gp2's fault but they nearly blew a two-on-one fast break in the first half as well no one has um, had worse possessions in transition and yet been <laughs> successful than the milwaukee bucks on saturday night because yeah. there was not a pretty transition possession but yet they seemed to score on every single well and and there was that other one where Giannis, i forget who he was trying to pass to and the ball like like donovan mitchell like you thought he was like about to steal it and then the ball just somehow like ends yeah. up caroming to yeah. gp2 who's like alone under the basket for for a dunk um yeah, so I, it was it was a weird game, and and obviously the Bucks' depth has been tested, has been particularly this weekend. We'll see um, if any of these guys start to come back sooner rather than later. I'm not sure if we heard anything on Snell as far as the likelihood of him being back um, in the next game, but obviously having a, a few days off is is certainly a positive. We'll see how close Delhi is as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, shout out to the Bucks for you know playing well enough, uh, certainly playing well on Saturday to to overcome some of those injuries as well. Because even though it's not you know one of the star players who's out, I mean, it's you know it's it it, it tests you, and uh, obviously they rose to the challenge. And um, I think a couple things I want to talk about. Let's maybe talk about Thon Maker first because um, we talked about Thon Maker uh, at the end of last week, and we talked about how he hasn't really shown any growth. Uh, so far this season and he's not hitting threes he's not really doing much of else offensively um and we just want to see him do stuff just do some stuff just translate activity into productivity that's why i tweeted on friday when he started to make some plays in the fourth quarter um that that energy and kind of running around doing stuff was finally translating into actually grabbing some rebounds and you know blocking a shot and and actually doing things that were healthy and productive and, and helping you offensively and defensively. And I thought it was encouraging because again, Thon did not put up big numbers in either game. Um, but I thought he actually gave them some good minutes. And again, he's certainly a long way from being, you know, cerebrally the perfect player who's always going to make the right read and do all that stuff. But 
Um, you know, again, his quickness uh, and and his athleticism gives him at least some margin of error. And I thought in the fourth quarter in particular on Friday, maybe not the first three quarters, but in the fourth quarter, um, he made plays and he was around the ball. And again, um, we'll have to see if this is something that kind of continues over a longer period. Hopefully it does. But, um, you know, if we reversed uh, Thon Maker uh, with our last podcast, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled about it because seeing him, you know, score <laughs> Four points, not not a big number, but eight rebounds in 27 minutes, a steal. A block, That's a career high. Or a couple blocks, yeah. <clears throat> um, that was a big positive, plus 11. Uh, he was the finisher on, on Friday. And then uh, similarly uh, against the Jazz uh, on Saturday, um, you know, six points on five shots. Nothing right home about. Missed both of his threes, but blocked a couple shots, uh, four rebounds, two assists. Um, and again, uh, both him and Henson had foul trouble, but I thought, you know, they gave you good minutes and, you know, it, it was fine, right? Like overall it worked, uh, Gobert got loose uh, a bit, but you know, uh, if that was the, the trade-off, I think you could live with it. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about how he, he hasn't been taking as many threes and on Saturday we saw him take two on Friday. We didn't see him take any, but we know that kind of the rule that the Bucks have is you don't get to offense rebound unless you're inside the three-point line. And if if there's one positive to take from Thon not shooting threes, it's that he can actually try to offense rebound now. Like he can he can be active on the glass and for someone who right now is trying to kind of use that energy and run around and try to be active at all times, offense rebound is a spot where where he can actively do that and uh we see three offense rebounds for him against the mavs two more uh for him uh, against uh the jazz on saturday and you think of that mavs game there was the offense rebound he gets on the fast break um i think that was what at the end of the third quarter um or maybe the start of the fourth where he gets the rebound kicks it out to malcolm malcolm hits a three and then i mean that was a huge play in that game and you can just kind of see some of those moments with him so um Again, I don't like that he's not taking threes. I'd I'd prefer if he did take some threes. Um, but at the same time, the fact that he can kind of get involved on the offensive glass, I think has been nice for him at least, that he can feel that he has some use on the offensive end other than just, just catching and shooting. Um, and, and I think that's allowed for some greater activity. And then it's just a matter defensively, kind of figuring out some of the intricacies of playing less aggressively. Um, we saw him execute some of those soft shows, some of those drops on Saturday night. And um, it, it was kind of, to me, it was encouraging that he understood that they were doing some things a little bit differently and that he was actually executing those things. So I, I thought that was good. Uh, and then, I mean, uh, dunking on on a roll like yeah, that was super encouraging. It, it I, was it I was explosive. I... It was it, he showed off the hands. It was because it, it wasn't a lob. It was a pocket pass from Malcolm. Yeah. He catches it, loads up with two feet, and throws it down. And in my mind, I was like, I don't know that I've seen him do that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we have. I think he scored on a. I think he dunked on like a, like a like a a pick and roll that basically was like at the baseline with Tony Snell, like a tight angle one last year. That might've yeah. been actually that, 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 that impressive two. Yeah. That like two kind of pumps, double mm-hmm. pump one. Um, but that wasn't kind of a tip to pick, pick and roll. This one uh, on, what was it? Friday was a very yeah. standard pick and roll, um, high pick and roll. And, and he just caught it and went down the lane and, and dunked. And, you know, you would have never guessed that he's a guy who really struggles to do that and know how to kind of pace 
a pick and roll and, and know where to be. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I think encouraging signs from Thon, um, and, and certainly, you know, again, it's, it's a couple of games here and there that doesn't necessarily move the needle, uh, in the grand scheme of the universe. But, you know, again, it's just sort of applying those sorts of things consistently using what he's got and positioning yourself, putting himself in a position where he can make plays. Uh, cause again, like we said, it, the bar isn't super high. He doesn't need to score 12 to 15 points a game for this team. You know, they, they have, you know, they've been scoring effectively offensively uh, because they have three really good offensive scorers um, with Giannis, Chris, and Eric. And um, Brogdon's been picking up the slack uh, on the bench. And so, you know, again, Thon, just play with energy defensively, make the right reads most of the time, <laughs> and yeah. then, you know, be around the ball, uh, crash the boards when you get a chance offensively. And uh, again, if you can finish around the rim, that's that's a major plus. So that was that was encouraging. And one one play that sort of, uh, encompassed two of my my complaints at the end of last week. Uh, Giannis made a nice pass, and it was a pass so nice on a Thon alley oop that even Thon was able to catch and finish. Uh, and in general, I thought Giannis's pass. There were some was, cool passes, Frank. He had some cool. He had a number. He had more nice passes in these last two games than maybe the we've seen year. all season. Yeah, um, I agree. And, you know, he threw alley-oop to Thon. He threw an alley-oop to Eric Bledsoe uh, off a nice read where Donovan Mitchell kind of showed for a split second. And Bledsoe, you know, basically got lost and just, you know, basically looped around and and caught a nice pass for for a dunk. And, uh, again, I just thought Giannis's passing was just really impressive. And it wasn't just, you know, one type of pass. He, you know, had a nice uh, against Jazz. He had a nice play where he faked a pass to Henson. Little wraparound. Yeah, yeah, wrapped around. Um, and I think that was one where – did Henson finish that or did he get fouled? I don't remember. But, no, he finished it. Um, okay, yeah. And so, again, just interior passing. Obviously, the kickouts are really important. Um, we saw some fastballs uh, kick out, some really nice reads. Unfortunately, I think two of them were to Gary Payton, who missed both threes uh, in the corner, which, again <laughs> – Gary Payton, not really an ideal guy to be starting uh, on this team because he doesn't really do anything offensively other than he has always been a good cutter and we saw him cut nicely for a basket in the closing seconds of the first half against Mm -hmm. the Jazz, which was pretty important because that was really when they did a nice job kind of stiff-arming the Jazz as they tried to come back a little bit. But but yeah, Giannis' passing I think was a major plus. Only only three assists on Friday, but seven assists on Saturday and most of those were, you know, six of them were at half by halftime. He usually doesn't get as many assists in second halves as he kind of focuses more on getting his own buckets and certainly 24 points in the second half. I'm not going to complain about <laughs> a lack of passing. Um, but I thought that was a plus too, because certainly when Giannis is making those sort of next level passes, um, it makes his team that much more dangerous. And obviously probably not a coincidence that Giannis, or that uh, Chris and, and Eric Bledsoe also went off over the weekend. Bledsoe starting to find some range uh, from deep, which I thought was really nice to see. It's kind of funny. You mentioned the, one of the GP two passes uh, or the, one of the two, two passes that he caught in the corner, because I can't remember if it was the start of the jazz game or the Mavs game. I think it was the jazz game. Giannis may was at the top of the key kind of on the left side and he made a, a pass where he like took a dribble to get inside of one of the help defenders and then threw one like all the way cross court to the right hand corner to gp2 and i was like whoa that that was an up that 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 was an upper level pass right there that was that was that was like a lebron, LeBron pass. level yeah like i was like oh my gosh that was incredible and then it was gp2 and he didn't shoot it 
because he's GP2. And I was like, oh, man, that's really depressing. That would have been really cool if it was Tony Snell. Because no matter what, Tony Snell was shooting that. I don't know if he would have hit it, but uh, it would have been a great pass. And I think as as I think through the Jazz game, one of the things that's kind of interesting, as we've talked about Giannis, is that he's playing a little bit like a traditional big man now that he is getting a lot of those looks on the roll and pick and rolls. And he's able to kind of cut into the lane and just kind of find his way into the paint and then get the ball rather than dribbling to those spots like he was at the start of the year. And one of the things I was thinking about was in that jazz game, you mentioned the six assists in the first half. It seemed like so often he would catch one of those passes. And then instead of finishing, it would just be a a maybe five foot pass where it would just be low right below the hips, and then Gobert would have the arms up, and it would just be a little flip, just a little underhand flip to Henson, uh, to Thon, whoever it may be. And I think in the second half, what you saw was, I don't want to say that they were delayed getting there or anything, but there was at least the thought in Gobert's mind, Derek Favors' mind, whoever it may be, that, oh, he might not shoot it. He he might make that, that small pass and they might get a dunk here that is going to be uncontested rather than me jumping up here to stop Giannis. And then, well, in the second half, he was shooting it all the time, like you mentioned, and scores 24 points in the second half. And it was just kind of a role, just a, a reversal of the way that you had to think about how you're going to cover him. And I feel like the when he can do that, you're really going to start playing with defenses. The, the more times he can kind of show off that passing, and show off the floor vision that he clearly has. Like we, we, we're very aware that he has it. I think that just leads to greater efficiency. Like if you put that's that just split second of second guessing, is he going to pass this or is he going to attack the rim? For someone as a talented as a rim finisher as Giannis, like that's huge. That's huge that you can even put a different thought in their mind other than don't get dunked on right now. Like go, go up and contest this thing and do not get dunked on. So I, I think you you make a really good point that we saw some of that passing return and um, thinking about that jazz game, I think that's why you see one of his most efficient nights in a long time. 22 field goals to get 37 points and only nine free throws with that. Like he was just finishing all the time. A 14 for 22 night suggests that. But I think when you look at the, at the film and see some of that, there was some easy ones because of the threat of the passing that he showed in that first half. Giannis Bledsoe and Middleton, they've played 309 minutes together at this point. Offensively, those lineups are scoring 116.4 points per 100. That is obviously tremendous. Defensively, they're allowing 99.8 points per 100, which is also tremendous. So that trio together plus 16.7 points per 100. Which Screw is, it. You know, Play them 48 tw- tonight. <laughs> 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 um, maybe not. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at the Bucks sort of top three man lineups and, um, you know, I'm trying to see the first one. The first, let's see, like nine combinations all average over 111 points per 100. So I think what that tells you is um, all of the major minutes guys, whatever you know, kind of groupings you you bunch around those guys, the, this team is scoring a lot of points. You know, you you know, you talked about maybe this team has top five offensive potential, and I think after Bledsoe came over, we saw the ball. Stick a bit more, not not that it was Bledsoe specifically, but um, especially with some of the shooting that they were lacking with Mirza certainly off the bench being kind of one of the designated gunners they had. They they, they still have been shooting fewer three pointers, um, 
But now we're seeing that offense start to click more. We're seeing the results start to to really show in terms of the offense being much more efficient. And obviously having Giannis playing at a high level is, you know, a terrific starting point. But then you add Middleton and Bledsoe also um, scoring effectively and being guys that can take off pressure and also help carry some of those other units. I think that's that's generally uh, obviously it's a big positive. And um, when, you know, the defenses of these groups are also now starting to kind of figure things out. And again, um, not asking the Bucks to be revolutionary or perfect in their defense, but just pl- keep it simple, right? And I think that's yeah. finally what we're seeing is um, the Bucks just playing a more vanilla kind of defense, maybe doing a little more switching, but just doing things a little bit more by the book rather than trying to get cute and um, and necessarily you know play for perfect. Um, I think that's that's obviously a positive. You know, I think the um, Zach Lowe in his call in his last column did mention you know like the idea of perfect being enemy of of good right like trying to play every position perfectly and suffocate everything well how about you just you know try to funnel teams to take some more mid-range jump shots let's you know zone drop don't give up you know those those obvious looks from the outside and and i think obviously defensively they've they've limited three pointers in terms of the attempts for much of the season big concern has been that that those have turned into a lot more you know they're, they're still a bad team in terms of fouling a lot and they are still the worst team in the league in terms of allowing shots at the rim um so to me that's going to be the big test over the rest of the season you know can they cut down dramatically on the number of shots that they're allowing at the rim in addition to continually continuing to be a better than average team in terms of allowing um you know average or or better um, numbers of opponent attempts <clears throat> that that those would be two very good things and you know as we said the opponents have shot an unsustainable percentage against them from three um which is probably partly why it feels like they're still not off they're often a bad team defending the three-point line um but we'll see, right? You obviously hope that that kind of reverts over the course of, of a season. And, um, you know, a team like the Celtics, teams have just missed a lot more open jump shots against the Celtics and the Bucks. You hope that that kind of thing obviously tends to turn around over the course of a season. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think positive strides. But again, you know, some context. The Mavs have been playing better. But this is still a team that came into that game 7-18 and 18 overall. 2-8, and eight, they, were, they were on the road coming into that game. The Jazz... Also, two and eight on the road going into that game. I mean, that was a 500. You know, we we, we kind of tend to over-index on what we see from teams, you know, in the small samples where we do see them. So, I mean, mm-hmm. the Jazz, we saw them annihilate the Bucs without Rudy Gobert, and they seem like world beaters. We've seen them obviously hurt the Bucs in previous years, and maybe they, you know, last year they had obviously a better team overall with Gordon Hayward around. Um, but this is a team that was a 500 team coming into that game, um, a bad road team, you know. You, you should have the ambition of winning that game, right? Like it's it's not going to take a, a world-beating effort to beat the Utah Jazz um, in a home game. And obviously that's why I think it's impressive that, you know, they didn't just kind of sneak away with a game. You know, I mean, the Mavs game was closer than you'd like. They looked pretty flat for two and a half quarters, and then they turned it on and, and finished them off. Um, Utah, fortunately, there was there was a lot less drama, and obviously that was a, that was a major plus, I think, from that game, just because, you know, again, you, you, this is what good teams do. Good teams play games that don't have drama. And, um, you know, again, there's there's no... It's never we're we're never going to start a podcast and say, guess what, guys, the Bucks did it. The Bucks are now a consistent team. <laughs> you know, let's let's go streaking to the quad and celebrate. <laughs> um, it's it's always you know it's always a process this kind of thing. And again, you just you know as a team, you just hope that you can bring that sort of consistency night to night. I'm not going to say energy and effort, but that consistency, what you know, whatever it is. 
um, you know, can you be be playing in that consistent manner and and competing at a high level night in and night out? I mean, you're gonna have stinkers, right? There's gonna be games where you don't yeah. have it. Um, but like Friday felt like one of those games for a half, and the fact that the Bucks kind of figured it out and and won the game. I mean, that's the that's something. And then the next night to come back, despite the disadvantage in terms of rest, despite you know obviously missing some guys um, from your regular rotation, uh, to to be able to lean on your star players and get some contributions from some guys off the bench and not be bothered for the most part by a team that is well coached and the team that is that has obviously hurt you in the past. I think that's obviously a plus. So we'll see. I think the the schedule gets a, a little bit harder um, the rest of of this month. But you know, again, right now. Milwaukee Bucks are fourth in the East, right? If you can kind of continue to build on what you've been doing, obviously, um, despite some of the early struggles, you're, you're in a pretty good, pretty good spot right now. Five thirty-eight has them projected at forty-six wins, so I think there's still upside to be had there. But obviously, you know, we've we've said it before and been wrong, but you know, things at least trending in the right direction in Milwaukee. And with that, that'll be it for us for today. The Bucks are fifteen and ten now with a three 0 homestand on Wednesday, Friday and Saturday, two games over the weekend against the Mavericks and Jazz, two teams that beat them on the road and beat them badly on the road. So uh, good to see that over the weekend. Frank, we still have so much time to talk in the coming days because the Bucks don't play again until Wednesday. Mailbag? Uh Mailbag? so I think we could do a mailbag. Yeah, um, a mailbag. I've had some people request that we start talking all-star bids for Middleton and Bledsoe. Um, I think there's a number of questions that people might have. I've had people ask me uh, how many days GP2 has been with the team. That's one. I don't know if I'm ever going to figure out an answer because it is impossible to track two-way days. But I think maybe we could attempt to estimate exactly where that number is. I think he's getting close to 45 days. Uh, so a bunch of stuff to talk about yet this week. But like I said, we have some time. The Bucks do not play uh, until Wednesday in New Orleans. So that'll be a little bit of time for us uh, to get through some of that. But yeah, if you have some questions, in you can tweet them at Eric underscore name at F Madden NBA uh, for Frank and I, and or you can tweet them at Locked On Bucks, and maybe I should just suggest that so people actually follow that because uh, at Locked On Bucks on Twitter is where you're always going to find our podcast first. That is where it gets posted, um, and then it comes through our personal accounts. Like we physically have to remember, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> to tweet it out, uh, but at Lockdown Bucks will always have it. So if you follow there, um, and you know what, that's I'm going to make that my rule, that if your question is going to be on our podcast, in our mailbag, you have to be following at Lockdown Bucks, and you have to tweet at, at Lockdown Bucks. Does that sound, does that sound okay, Frank? I, I feel like that. I, we, we, yeah, might as well do that, because then we can compile them just from one, from one account. So, it, yes, much, tweet us. Tweet it'll us be much easier for that. Um, and I refuse. If you tweet it at only my account or at only Frank's account or at only those two accounts and not at Lockdown Bucks, I will not include it in the mailbag, no matter how good the question is. Um, I don't know why I'm being forceful about this. Uh, all right, so that's going to be it for us for today. Bucks win two games this weekend, 15-10 and 10 for the first time since 2014-15, and the best start they've had in the first 25 games in over 10 years. So uh, good things going on with the Bucks right now. We'll talk about it more tomorrow on Lockdown Bucks. That was Frank. I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.